0: Hey, did some of you get uh, an email this week about church finances? Yeah. It was the one that talked about how the uh, we're not going to be able to pay our electricity bill and lay the staff off and, and sell the building in 30 days. That email, did you get that one? Oh, that must have been another one that I was thinking about. Some of you did get an email this week. And uh, the council's desire is just to always keep the church family uh, in the know about church finances. And... And finances right now have fallen behind. We always fall behind in the summer. Um, They are a little further behind than they usually are. Here's my spin on it. We're not panicking. God is our provider. We are talking a lot about that in this series these days, that he is the one who, who gives us what we need. So, the, uh, the heart's desire of, of the council, the, the leaders that, that God has given to Applewood is that, that we will pray together, that we will seek him. I think sometimes there is, and it can be subtle and we don't necessarily mean it to be so, but there can be the thought when, when something changes of significance in our lives, there is, there's a change in our health, there's, there's a shortage of, of funds Uh, there's a a broken relationship, something that just disrupts us. We can think that, wow, I must have done something wrong. We don't want to think that. God, though, is always at work through the circumstances so that what we want to think as God's people, regardless in times of plenty, in times of lean, in times of health, in times of sickness... God loves us. He knows what's going on in our lives. He is our Father. He is our provider. And He always takes the circumstances that we find ourselves in and He uses them so that we can grow in godliness as His people. That we can grow in our understanding more clearly of who He is. And uh, we want to be a people during every season of our church life together that is is open-hearted and seeking the Lord in the circumstances that we find ourselves. So, the email is simply to let you all know so that we will be praying together as God's people. Lord, what do you have in this for us? How do you want us to grow? Uh, Where should we go in terms of the future and planning? Uh, particularly as we come into the, uh, the budget planning time for next year. So, as God's people, <clears throat> let's be praying together, seeking the Lord as individuals, seeking Him together, and, uh, and learning from Him in these days. He is our provider. So, let's have a quiz this morning to start things off. <clears throat> it's a quiz about need versus desire. Desire. Okay? I'm going to give you a sentence. It's going to have the word need in it. And if you think that that what the sentence is really constitutes a need, I want you to just say yes, robustly. Yes. And if not, then you can say no, or you can boo, or you can hiss. I don't really care. Okay. Got it? If it's a legitimate need, yes. Not a need, then no Or boo. Here we go. I need a cup of coffee. I need a vacation. I need to read the scriptures more. I really need a new road bike. Come, come. I need for my wife to love me. I need more money. <laughs> I need my children to obey me. <laughs> I need sex. That one got you going. <laughs> Sorry, we're not supposed to say that word in church, right? <laughs> Remind me again, what have we said for our definition in this series? What constitutes a need? How are we defining a need? Anyone remember? Yes! Thank you, Phil. If we don't get it, we're gonna die. That's really the root meaning of need. If I don't get it, I'm gonna die. It's it's a simplistic definition. But the truth is, I think it helps us get at one of the major reasons that, whether we know it or not, we struggle with fearing people, and and we're using fear in that sense that the scripture uses it, Proverbs 29, to fear anyone will prove to be a snare, to put anyone in a place of of authority, or, or to put them in a place of value place where we prefer them over others a place where we 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 honor their opinions and and their ideas and their influence in our lives to the point of of changing our lives to conduct ourselves in a manner in which we think will please them and bring us blessing that's fear of people that the scripture talks about and it proves to be a snare but whoever trusts in the lord is kept safe that's what the series is about, is we're, we're seeking to, to grow the influence and the significance, our understanding of those things regarding who God is in our lives and shrinking the importance of people not to shrink them out of existence, not to remove them from our lives, but we need to become a people who do not live our lives based on what others think or value, whether they value us or not, what they think of us or not. Our lives need to be lived according to who God is and who He thinks we are through His Son. One of the results of the sin nature within the heart of every human being is turning from God As creator, an unwillingness to acknowledge and worship him as he deserves as creator. And that results in then turning from him as the provider of our needs. We begin to to look for ourselves. We become exalters of self and others to meet what God intends for him to be the provider of. We're reminded of that in Romans chapter 1. Last week we read the description of humanity separated from God by their rejection of Him. Paul writes, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped and they served created things rather than the Creator. It's pretty normal for those created things that Paul references there to, to be very often people. And what we perceive, they can give To us with our false sense of need, their their ideas and opinions and position and influence in our lives. And I think a natural result of our fallen condition is that we create, because of our perceived needs and the role that people have in meeting those, we create a, a third category of need. One that I suggested to you last week I think is dubious at best. Scripture clearly speaks to two categories of need. It talks about our physical needs and it talks about a huge spiritual need. And God is the one who meets those needs. Scripture is very clear about that. But what about those needs we refer to as as emotional and psychological? Our are those needs. And I suggested to you last week that that really, I think, and we can differ, you can be wrong, as always, I think they're desires. Potentially very strong desires that make that line between need, if I don't have it, I'll die, and desire, I think I'm going to die if I don't get it, but I really won't die. It, It makes that line between those two Very fuzzy. And so what happens is then that certain behaviors and attitudes that for a variety of reasons are important to us as individuals because of the way that we're wired, because of the sin nature at work in each one of us, those things grow in importance to us. And it's not long before they've moved into the category of need, in our opinion got to have this or I'm just going to die. And we don't necessarily act that way or we don't necessarily speak those words, but in reality a, a closer look at our lives will reveal that there's something that's going on in terms of a mix up between strong desires and legitimate needs. Remember those words that we read last week from Second Peter He speaks about what God or writes about what God has done for us. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That doesn't always include a new road bike. Because that's not a legitimate need. No matter how strongly I think that that may be true. And yet our Father so often graciously gives us blessings that we don't need because He is a loving Father. We just find ourselves blessed with extras. But his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who who called us by his own glory and goodness. Those are not words that describe needy people. And so, you remember we took a a look at Genesis chapter 2. Considering those words of God, following the creation of the man, it is not good for the man to be alone. And right away we knew the reason for that. Because left to his own devices, he would get in trouble He would be lonely at night, needed somebody to cuddle with. There were a lot of animals in the garden that he had named, but, you know, nothing looked good. I hope that I convinced you to think about another possibility within the context of what Scripture creates for us as as a perfect environment. The garden. Sinless world. The experience of intimate, unbroken relationship, fellowship with God each of them, made perfectly in the image of God, that perhaps when God said it's not good for man to be alone, there was something else that was going on there. By using a a less common translation, but certainly a legitimate translation linguistically, we looked at that line that God put man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Maybe that should read, God put man in the garden to worship and to rest. He put man in the garden to worship and to be kept safe. And if you go with that translation, which I hope you'll consider, then the creation of the woman was not because the man lacked anything, but because the image of God is expressed most fully in community with both male and female. And their priority task became that of multiplying and filling the earth with more worshipers of God, not with more workers. I think there's a desperate need in our culture for the people of God to be defined by who they are as opposed to what they do. We've talked about that before. So often, the first question that we're asked, "What do you do?" Boy, I exist as a child of God. That's my highest calling. Everybody give anybody that answer? Sue Miller and I were laughing this week about a story that uh, Tony Campolo told years ago. He was a professor at Eastern College and and you know was always traveling in in rather academic you know elite circles and. And rubbing shoulders with supposed high-powered people. And his wife, Peggy, was a stay-at-home mom. And that bothered her. They had to go to social events with some of these folks. And so they had talked about it at one point. and And he had said to her, well, honey, come up with some kind of a response that just kind of stops them in their tracks. So they were at a party when a woman said to his wife Peggy in a rather condescending tone, and what is it that you do, dear? He said, I heard my wife respond with this. I am nurturing two homo sapiens into the dominant value of Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might become instruments of social transformation, preparing them for the eschatological utopia which God has envisioned from the beginning of time. (laughs) And then she said, and what is it that you do? And the woman's response was, I'm just a lawyer. (laughs) That sense of being, this is who God has called me to be. I am a transformed being, not a task doing. I'm a human being. I am created for relationship. My friends, God's original intent for his people is that they would live in intimate relationship with him going through life with no needs because he is sufficient for all that they need and and living in relationship with others in a way that calls attention to the wonder and beauty and glory of God. Complete and lacking nothing as individuals. And in relationships together, showcasing the nature of God. What do you think? That's what we're called to. That's the life that we've been called to. Just for fun, think about your your biblical knowledge. What are some of the descriptions of what God's people are described as? Just shout one out that comes to mind. Children of God. Not paupers of God, children of God. That's awesome. Followers of the way. Ooh, a little politically incorrect. Yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Co heirs with Christ. Co heirs with Christ. That means something to do with sharing in his inheritance. That's what an heir does. Oh, a royal priesthood. We're coming to that one. That has become one of my favorites. What else? Thomas. My my daddy made the universe. Yeah, there is that sense of confidence. You know, how often do, you know, children squabble and say, well, my dad's bigger than your dad. You know, we trump them all. He is our God. Nat. Okay, yeah, on mission with him. Yeah, good, good. they are just all kinds of, of descriptions of God's people that are not need-based. Need has nothing to do. However, the sin nature causes us to twist all of life into a story about us and what we need. Okay, maybe that's just my problem. You don't do that. Look at your faces. Like, Come on, we do! Like, you know, Rick and I were talking this morning. You know, of all the things that, that I have to work hard at in life, you know, liking myself and taking care of me is not even one of those. You know, it's just, it's natural. That's what the sin nature does. And I want to say to you this morning that redemption is a restoration of the garden. An original relationship, still living within the fallen world, but redemption is an opportunity, an invitation, a gift, a blessing from God to come back into that original relationship of intimacy with Him and to then be able to live in relationships as they were meant to be relationships that call attention to God's greatness, relationships that are not based on what I get out of this because I have no needs as His child, relationships that call attention to the glory and the greatness of God. Being restored to God through the salvation that He brings us in Christ brings us back to an understanding that He is everything that we need and that we do not need others for anything that relates to us but our relationships with others are for God's glory so our text this morning is from first Peter chapter 2 there's there's just something so cool in this text that I've that I've never really connected with with this concept of God's sufficiency and our relationship to others so let me give you just a real quick context and we're going to stand and we're going to read our text together Peter is writing this letter to followers of Jesus who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, uh, predominantly what we would call modern-day Turkey. And as Rainy McNeil pointed out a couple of Sundays ago, the recipients of this letter were more than likely, the majority of them were non-Jews. They were Greeks, they were Gentiles, just people of different ethnic origin. And there's no doubt, given the content of the letter that he sends them, that they're experiencing some hardships. Certainly, at, at, not at that point in church history had, had persecution become death as it began to become so into the second century. But there was lots of hardship that was going on. People were, were experiencing social rejection. They were harassed. They were made fun of for being followers of Jesus. They were mocked because they only believed in one God. And Peter's encouragement in all of that in the first few verses of his letter, hang in there. Hang in there, brothers and sisters. God is using these hardships to refine your faith. And then he says these things to him. He says, be holy. That means to be separate as God is holy. Be holy and separate in in the way that you live your lives. And, And remember that even though you are rejected by God because of your faith, even though you're rejected by people, excuse me, because of your faith in God, even though you're rejected by people because you say you believe in this, this one God and this Jesus, he says, remember, you are chosen by God and you are precious to him. Precious to him. Those are the words that lead us into our text. So let's stand and let's read together from Peter's letter. Okay, here we go together. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Wait a minute, got to read that again. Want to make sure you heard those, okay? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you hear any need there? The answer would be no, resoundingly. Okay. Here we go next. Thanks, Don. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles To abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Okay, go ahead and be seated. All right, Don, can we put our our next slide up there. I want you to just turn to a neighbor and talk for a few minutes about those descriptive words that we just read. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. For me, that brings images into my mind, and I'm curious to know from you, what are the images that come to mind as you you hear those descriptors? Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation. Talk to a neighbor or two and see what they think. Okay, we ready? Those are some amazing statements. What did you talk about with your neighbor? Are are there images? Images or, or just thoughts, truths that come to mind? Gary? Confidence. Yeah. Chosen people. Remember the games that we played in preschool, grade school? Oh, choosing teams. For some, that was such a dread. And for others, it was, yeah, I've been chosen. I always wanted to be on this person's team or that person's team. Confidence. Chosen by God. Yes, say more. Absolutely. Yeah. You are a chosen people. He says to a whole bunch of non-Jews, congregations filled with Male and female, slave and free. Wow. Ah, okay, okay. Suggest some responsibility there. Okay, okay, good, good. Yeah, what else? Outside of ourselves. Okay. There's something bigger than me, more important than me. Oh, Steve, yes. Royal priesthood, that's that's where we're going to end this morning. Royal priesthood is an intimidating charge, Matt. I resent that <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Understand, understand. Keep struggling. Keep struggling. Till your last breath, brother. Keep struggling. It's 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 worth the struggle. You know, I think too using the, the terminology of where we've been, to fear people, to, to put people in a place of prominence in our lives that they don't deserve in terms of their opinions and their values and what we, what we perceive as them holding over us influences us to act differently, to act in a way that is not reflective of some of these descriptions that Peter has given us. That it's, it, just, it creates a denial of these truths in our lives. The, the children of god the co-heirs with christ some of those those powerful descriptions are are all sort of wrapped up together in in these words called out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we could declare his praises if you've ever wondered about your purpose in life there it is you were created To declare the praises of God. Ever wonder what God's will is for your life? There it is. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I see in this just a clear statement of of restoration. Again, back to that garden relationship, living our lives in, in worship and praise of God. Living in relationship with with one another and and others in in ways that that God is made known in those relationships. We are not needy people. We are redeemed. We are restored. We have been given the opportunity to live once again in intimacy with the God who created us for Himself. A, a chosen people. Think back to those Hebrew roots that, as as Lee was referencing. What what were th- what were the Jews chosen? Why, I should say, why were they chosen? Why were they chosen? You're called? God said, I didn't choose you because you were large, because you were rich, because you were smart. We could just keep adding the descriptions. I chose you because I loved you. When Peter says you are a chosen people, What Peter is saying is, there is nothing in you that made God look down and say, phew, gotta have him. Gotta have her. Now there's a deal. No. God chooses His people. Chose us as His people because He loved us. Picked out for intimacy with Him a, a holy nation. That's kind of a purpose statement the Israelites we know were set apart by God that they might be a witness to the world that they might be a witness of of who God is to the surrounding nations uh, in the land God has chosen us and set us apart as a holy nation of people who are greatly diverse. We're so different, and yet what we share in common is intimate relationship with God, the potential for intimate relationship with one another that shows the world the character of God. But here's the one that just has grabbed me all week long. As Steve said, kind of an intimidating thought. The royal priesthood. Literally, the translation is a, a bunch of priests, a group of priests, a body of priests. Such an interesting uh, language structure there of both the, the individual and the plural. Do you think of yourself as a priest of God? Do you think of yourself as part of a, a, a royal priesthood? Think about what we know from the Old Testament about the priest. The priest was was set apart to God. God chose and that person was set apart and his life became consecrated to God. God became the passion of his life. God had something to do with his every word and his every action. The priest served the people. He he led the people in their worship of God. And the priest lived with a keen awareness of of his position in life. He was designated by God to keep the reality and the truth and the presence of who God was constantly before the people. Now here's the thing, I never put together with this text before? Think again about the Old Testament. Do you recall who the people were that were chosen to be the priests? What was the tribe? The Levites. Tell me when they were getting ready to enter the promised land and they were each given their portion of the land. What did the Levites get? Nothing. What an image. What an image. The people were given land and they marked out their borders. The priests were given intimate relationship with God and that was enough. Now, I'm not sure that they were always satisfied with that, being as human as you and I are. (laughs) But that was God's intent. That he would be their sufficiency. They were his possession. He was their possession. Tell me, how are you doing, brothers and sisters, in your role as a member of this royal priesthood? When the people of Israel wanted to communicate with God, they went to the priest. When the people of Israel needed to sacrifice or atone for sins, they went to the priest. Think of the people in your life. You are a priest to them. You who are indwelled by the living presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God, you bring the presence of God into every circle in which you find yourself in the course of the day. Husbands and wives. Oftentimes we get into a real need battle there between husbands and One way to correct that is to begin to see yourself, husbands, as a priest to your wife, wives, as a priest to your husband. For the service of God, how, husbands, can we make God more known clearly to our wives? Wives, how can we represent God in His glory to our husbands? Parents, do you see yourselves bringing the presence and the truth of Christ into the lives of your children on a daily basis? Do they see in you the values of God? Do they hear in you the words and the thoughts of God? Kids, you find yourself in school, dealing with people who are hard to deal with if you are a follower of Jesus you are a priest to those friends you bear the presence of God you bear intimate relationship with your creator and you bring that to bear in your relationships with them how about the workplace how about those folks that are just a pain about that boss who you wish just would take a permanent sick day. Your priest to those persons. Are you by the life that you live, am I by the life that I live, declaring the praises of God to those who watch my life? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a billboard. It's not identifying ourselves perhaps in some crazy way that that Matt might be fearful of and that a lot of us would be fearful of. It's allowing the presence of God to mold and to shape our character to become more and more like Christ. It takes intentionality. Just as the priest every morning in Israel got up and put on his priestly garments, we as God's people need to get up every single day and be reminded, I have a role to play in my life today. It is to declare the praises of God to the people in my life because I am a member of His priesthood. I need to remember that I am clothed today in the righteousness of Christ. The priest needed to make atonement for his own personal sins before he made atonement for his people. We, brothers and sisters, need to be mindful that Christ has atoned for our sins and we need to rejoice and celebrate and acknowledge that and go into the places that He calls us with grace and love and the presence of God who is ready to forgive their sins as He has forgiven Ours. Brothers and sisters, you probably have picked up on this, but this takes intentionality. If we're casual about being the priesthood of God, then people aren't going to know God in our presence. They're not going to hear Him. They're not going to experience Him They're not going to be touched by His grace. And the irony is, is that we will continue to be people who exalt others and make God small. But the truth is, the radical truth is, they don't have anything that we need. But those who are not followers of Jesus and our lives are filled with them, we have something they need. They need to know The God who has called us into relationship with himself. His love, his presence. Heard and seen and experienced in our lives. Praise to him. Come on up and, and prepare to lead us as we respond this morning. May the spirit of God, my brothers and sisters, remind us often of the truth of scripture. Of who we are in Christ dare not spend our lives being needy, we need to spend our lives mindful of who God has called us to be, the righteousness that he has robed us in, the purpose for which he has called us, and the presence through which he supplies our needs. We have no needs that only people can supply they have need instead of God's love that he can supply and will supply through us.